All right, everybody, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Q&A podcast. I'm going to change my Instagram name. My real name is Ashley Van Houten, but I'm going to change my Instagram name from the Muscle Maven to BPAC's friend because that'll, that'll make me more popular and people will get it. But anyway, I'm glad to be back as always every week asking you questions about life and training and optimization and all kinds of fun stuff. Ben, how's it going? I'm really great. Good. I think life has seasons. You know, everyone realizes that or should hopefully realize that there's seasons of life. It can't always be summer. There was a period there where I was going through, I think I was, I was sharing this with you, like I was going through the wintertime and I feel like spring is here and this is figuratively, obviously not literally, but I feel like I just feel great and my business is increasing and my clarity in life is increasing and my ability to focus is great. And, you know, I've shifted my focus back to my body a little bit. So putting more, a little more time into me. And I often talk about this is to be a successful human being, you have to have values and, and establish your value hierarchy. And um, my value hierarchy is as such as my family's first, my finances are second, and my fitness is third right now. And there's a lot of subcategories there. But you know, when it comes to decision making, as you'll see now, Ash, working with me for a little bit, my family's top priority. And if something needs to get done in business or even with my body, but my family needs me, fortunately, it's going to be put on the back burner. And uh, I've been doing that for quite a while. And I have some actually reasoning behind it. And I'll talk to you about that. But so, you know, I've been kind of deprioritizing my fitness. And I'm not saying I'm not taking care of my fitness. Like I exercise every day and it's just not like with an objective. So I'm shifting that, right? I'm going mm-hmm. to create some objectives now that are, you know, physique objectives. Like I want to look amazing. I want to lose some body fat, but I also want to be able to perform. So I'm just creating some objectives now, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. so, you know, shifting that back, which is making me maybe feel better. Maybe that's part of, you know, prioritizing this body mind integration that I talk about learning that, you can't neglect fitness even one day. It needs to be like in 24 hours in a day, you can make time for 30 to 60 minutes of movement, even if it's just a good brisk walk, some movement, some meditation, some some yoga. So my three necessities that everyone should be following is, you know, breathe, walk, and meditate. And those are your three things, breathe, walk, meditate. If you can do those every day, you've laid a foundation for building on top of it, right? And that's not going to get you to the optimal fitness, but it's going to be the foundation of an optimal body and optimal mind. So that's, Mm. you know, what I kind of have been focusing on a little bit more, making sure I'm getting those three things in every day. And again, it's not always a long time. Sometimes my meditation is only 10 minutes before bed, but I'm getting it in and feel great because of it. So I would love for you to articulate a little bit more the difference between prioritizing, which is necessary in everyone's life, no matter how successful or whatever you are, you need to be able to prioritize, which is what you're talking about right now. That, and then also the sort of friction between that concept and the concept of how you do anything is how you do everything. So, you know, you're saying that sometimes your fitness maybe takes a back burner to work and family, right? Which again, makes total sense. And I think your version of taking a back burner is all relative, right? Like, because your sort of half-assed working out is probably other people's whole-assed working out. But like, how do you you know, say, look, working out isn't my top priority for the next few weeks because I've got other things to do. But when I am working out, it's still something that I'm putting all my focus on and putting all my energy into. Because sometimes those things can kind of seem like they're at odds. Like you're not prioritizing it, but 
everything you do, you're doing with total intention. So can you kind of like talk about that a little bit more, how people can kind of reconcile that? Sure. Well, the only word that comes to mind there for me is consciousness, right? Present. You must be present. And consciousness to me, for anyone that doesn't understand that word, is just how do you become aware, consciously aware of everything you're saying, doing, and feeling? And that to me is consciousness, becoming conscious. So how do I then become conscious of things so that I can become present, know where I am and give my all in that scenario, right? So it's, you know, consciousness, presence, focus is kind of this trilogy here, right? It's like, first you must become aware and then you become present and you can be in this moment, be focusing on this one thing and not thinking about something else. And then I'm literally forgiving all my focus. So if I'm with my kids, Again, not perfect because I just thinking of a scenario last night where I didn't do this, but I'm focused on that. Right? My phone is away. My work is away. I'm down at their level. We're playing. I'm wrestling with them. I'm tickling them. I'm telling them jokes. We're running. We're, we're laughing. We're playing. We're in the pool. We're, you know, we're whatever, right? We're doing kids stuff and that's it. It's just like, okay, now I'm in the gym. Okay. And I, I talked about this in a previous podcast. I think it might've been with you where you're creating anchors, right? When you walk into a different scenario, you, you got to anchor the personality you're going to be. So it takes consciousness, like I must be conscious and present to be aware that, hey, I'm walking into my house now and I need to be a different person. So, you know, for me, it's like when my keys come out to go in my door at my house, the jingle happens. Or like sometimes it's my daughter's smile because every time I come home, if she's home, she runs and daddy and, you know, a parent over there will understand that with the biggest smile on your face. It's kind of like when your dog comes home, right? Like, or when you come home, your dogs are just like barking and wagging its tail. You can't not be happy. And that anchors me, you know, I drop my bag, I take my shoes off and it's them, you know, it's, it's hundred percent them. So, and then same thing in the gym, you have to create an anchor. You have to create a mindset of who you're going to be in when you come in the gym. And that's a challenge for me, especially because I own the gym where I train. And sometimes there's shit that needs to get done. That's not getting done. And it's frustrating. So that's a challenge. I mean, I'll be honest it, when I, even when I try to work out, it's not always the best workout when I'm training with somebody else. I make sure that I'm there. Like I'm, I'm very focused because I have a huge ego that wants to beat everybody that I train with. But uh, when I'm training by myself, it's very easy to get distracted. And you know, hey, like this thing needs to be cleaned, or this gym, this piece needs to be moved, or someone didn't do something, and so it's hard. But honestly, just becoming present and going, oh, well, I'm not supposed to be thinking about that now, right? I'm not supposed to be on my phone during my workout. I'm not supposed to be on my phone with my kids. I'm not supposed to be whatever, doing anything other than what I'm doing in that exact moment. And that's what we talked about in the previous Q&A was like, you have to practice focus. Yeah. And that's how you tie in how you do anything is how you do everything is if I can learn to focus for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, five minutes when I'm meditating or when I'm writing or when I'm training or when I'm with my kids, well, that will then transfer into your ability to focus on something else. So if you have mm -hmm. a hard time focusing on working out, guess what? That's your greatest opportunity to get better. And it may only be for 10 seconds at a time, right? So when people start meditating, the suggestion, I got this from Wayne Dyer, is count backwards from 10 with each breath. So, you know, breath one is inhale and you're saying 10. 10, 10, 10, you're exhaling saying 10, 10, 10, 10, and all the way down to one. So you're doing this four second count in uh, inhale exhalation cycle all the way down to one. Nobody makes it to one, right? And when they begin, nobody can make it to one because they'll forget what number they're at or they'll, you know, their mind will wander or whatever. Huh. Um, so easy way to get into a meditative state and practice that focus. And then when you finally get to that 10, to be honest, like you're probably in a meditative state, you're probably in a really interesting place, but to get to 10 may take you a few days or weeks, right? That's kind of how I start with this stuff. If I find like I can't count backwards from 10, I always can now. I've been doing it for years, but if I can't, well, that's a big problem. That tells me I'm not going to be able to focus. I'm not conscious of my thoughts and my actions. I'm going to be more reactive than responsive. So that's how I work it. It's like, 
how we do anything as far as focus will transfer everywhere. And this is, I mean, I wish I could implement this into my hiring process as well. Like, like how do you just check someone's focus? Are they able to even focus for 60 seconds at a time, right? Because as an employer, well, I want my, my employee to not have a seven second attention span. So I thought about consider about like implementing this as like with the people I work with, hey, let's all sit down and meditate when we get in. Let's all go for a walk so that we can then prime our minds to be focused for the day. I do it with my kids, right? Like I'm not always there when they wake up in the morning, but hey, let's sit down and just five breaths and like, hey, let's go for a 10 minute walk. And you're just priming this ability to focus. You know, people go, oh, my kid has ADD. Well, what do you do with them? What do you do just to prime his brain in the morning, right? Or her, like sit them down and do five breaths. Oh, they won't do that. Well, that's why they must. And it's not about making them do it. It's about doing it and let them see you do it. Mm-hmm. And then go, hey, you know, come and sit with me for a minute. And not saying, hey, we're going to meditate. Just say, sweetheart, just come and sit with me for a minute. You know, like sit in my lap and let them feel your cadence of your breath into their back, right? And like, oh, and then they'll sync with you if you sit there long enough. And you may only get three breaths out of them in the beginning, right? But eventually, if you do that every single day, eventually they're going to love it. They're going to love connecting with you and they're going to learn how to anchor their breath. Okay, now we're 20 breaths. Wow. Like my kids got up to the point where we we're easily doing 10 minutes and we don't do it anymore, but we were doing it when they're homeschooled because they're no longer homeschooled. So, I mean, it shifted them, man. They were always so calm and so aware and so thoughtful. And, you know, my son just got tested for like the gifted program. And like, I don't think he's gifted. I think maybe he is, but like he's just the ability to focus. Like nobody else has the ability to focus. So, you Which know, so is a seven, superpower these days, as you said really before. Is. And I, yeah, yeah so I believe anyway. it. Yeah. So that's kind of the, if that answers your question, ties it all together, that's really what it's about. Yeah. I love the idea that you going back to employees or people that you work with, I love the idea of even just five or 10 minutes sort of like mindfulness breaks or walking meetings. Like even if it's just to catch up and talk about what's going on for the day, like we all know that meetings are like oftentimes a waste of time and annoying and ineffective. And if you can kind of try to be efficient in do more than just talk, you know, like you can walk, you can move your body, you're focusing in a different way. I think that's so, so cool. And you also kind of touched on this too. It's something that has been said before, but it can't be said enough is that concept of quality over quantity. Like a lot of us, especially in the fitness world, we are so guilty of saying one thing and doing another and saying, you don't have to spend three or four hours in the gym and you can just be efficient. And if you focus properly, and if you have the right intention, you don't need to be in there all day. And then quietly we're, you know, doing cardio for two hours and shit like that. But one thing that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too. And yeah, it's different when you're training for elite body building than just training for life. But this summer I spent 30% of the amount of time I normally spend in the gym. Did I lose 70% of my muscle or fitness? No, not at all. I was a little bit more intentional when I was in the gym and I was doing other active things, but it's about the quality and the intention and the focus that you're putting into what you're doing, not the hours you put in. Yeah. Such an interesting perspective, right? And I've actually started designing some programs around that. So I I noticed this in my gym and to be honest, I'm guilty of it too. And I do it for time reasons, or at least the reason I told myself I was doing this for time reasons is I jump around, right? So I'll go from a chest press to an ab exercise, to a bicep curl, to a leg curl and back. And I'm kind of doing this almost circuit style training. And well, think about what you're doing in that, right? You're literally creating this spider monkey brain. You can't sit and focus on one thing. So maybe when you're doing your set, you're focused for that 30 or 40 seconds, but you're bouncing around. And I find a lot of people do that. and, And that's kind of a reflection of our society. And whether good or bad, I thought it would be an interesting experiment to, and again, I'll suggest this to the listeners. Why not try over the span of a month to to progress toward 
doing one exercise for an hour. Hear me out. So right now, if you squat, you do three sets, you go to the next thing, it's done. So if we were to do week one, workout one, we're going to do two workouts a week for six weeks. Week one, workout one is 10 minutes of squatting. And it doesn't matter how many sets you get in there. It doesn't matter how many reps, like pick 60 to 70% of your max effort and just squat for 10 minutes and record what you did. So in 10 minutes, I got six sets. Next workout, which is three days later, you're going to do 15 minutes. And then the next week, you're going to do 20. And then the second workout of the week, you do 25. And then you're doing one exercise. You could do another workout after if you want. Like if there's some more stuff to do after. But you're going to focus on this one exercise for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So that by week six, now you're doing 60 minutes of squatting. Now, that sounds obscene to people. And there's a reason, obviously, we progress towards 60 minutes. So you're not going to be crippled after 60 minutes of squatting. But objectively saying, can I allow my brain to just focus on doing this one task for an hour? And most people will go, I can't do it. Well, that's why you have to, right? That's why you should. So Danny and I talked about, we're going to do this when I get back from the UK, is do this. And we won't do a six-week progression because we're obviously very well trained, but we'll probably do, you know, week one will be 40 minutes and, and then 45 and week two will be 50 and 55. And can you get to, you know, one hour of doing one exercise? And they talk about Arnold doing that, right? Arnold said he took a squat rack out into the woods with Franco and he brought orange juice and they sat and they, they squatted for three hours or something and like, okay, so why can't we do that as a society? I'm sure people out there are like hearing them like, you know, they're, crawling there's you know fingers crawling up their back right now right they're starting to go like, oh i can't do it yeah but that's why right how do we train use exercise to train our focus so rather than using exercise to reinforce the lack of focus how do we use it to train our focus and you know that's kind of my big thing mm-hmm. so within every set you have to become present and mindful so that you're becoming more conscious because of your workout and rather than anchoring this mindless thing that people do in the gym, how do we then take that to a next level? So yes, I'm going to be present during my set with every single inch of every single rep, I'm going to become present. But now I want to extend that and go, could I sit there for an hour and not walk around and not go talk to other people and sit there? And the only thing I'm doing between sets is I'm breathing or I suggest doing downward dog. So for yoga pose, like hands on the floor, feet on the floor, butt in the air, just to encourage blood flow, diaphragmatic breathing, and a little bit of lengthening of the posterior chain. And I'm not intentionally trying to lengthen posterior chain, but I'm just intentionally getting in that position, which will cause a natural kind of position of hip flexion, which most people lack. Um, so that, could we do that, right? And now that to me sounds like a torturous challenge workout for people. And it should. And if you can do that, it tells you that you're probably very mentally strong, right? And I think that may be an interesting thing to explore. So I'm going to write that into some of my programs going forward. I'm also going to do it with Danny and we'll probably end up filming it and see how many we do. And there's some kind of subjective variables in there, but Mm. that's, um, I don't know if that's a bit of a tangent or rant, but an interesting way to look at integration of, you know, staying focused on, uh, in in training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Squatting for three hours in the woods with orange juice. Those were the good old days, right? Fair enough. I've done that. (laughs) I, I'm not running the woods, but I've been like, you literally go and you pack a picnic and you like into my, into the gym. And I did this probably from the time I was 17 to 19. I used to be an avid, I was obsessed with like, I'm going to be one of the best bodybuilders in the world. I said the best, but I think I only said I'm going to have the best legs in the world when I started. It wasn't about being a bodybuilder. I worked but, out uh, pretty well for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was right. Like I was obsessed and, and uh, I was very hard on myself, but yeah, it worked out, I guess. Yeah. And remind me never to train calves in the gym with you. Cause you just finished talking about how you still want to like beast and win and kill everybody in the gym. So no lower, lower body days with you. I'll stick to arm days. I see, we yeah, get into the gym. <laughs> I think that's the egocentric attachment to, I don't know if it's because I want to maintain that reputation for having the best legs being the hardest working guy probably is mm. but i still mm. like to to find and I, again it's like a lion that smells blood right it's like 
I just find what you're not good at and we're going to just crush it. <laughs> Great. I probably shouldn't have just said that thing about the no calves then. All right. Um, but listen, I think having a little bit of a competitive or a lot of competitive spirit in the gym or anywhere else in life is fantastic. It becomes a problem when it's too tied to your internal feelings of self-worth or when it becomes a scenario where you're treating other people badly, maybe, or treating yourself badly. But there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of an ego because we all have it, regardless of whether we admit it or not. And there's nothing wrong with being competitive because that's what makes people work harder and challenge themselves. Sure. And, and you know, Dr. Ted Achikosa, who's a you know, friend of mine, mentor of mine, says, man, we all have it, an ego. Ride yeah. your ego, use it, right? And that's kind of what I'm doing there. It's like, okay, I realize this is there. I realize that's completely egocentric attachment. So, but is it a bad thing? No, it's probably constructive, right? It's probably helping me in a way. So that's me using my ego, right? And I think that's a great way to think about it. It's like, yes, I want to look good. Yes, I want to be able to be strong. Yes, I want to be able to perform well. That's just an egocentric attachment, but that's not a bad thing to be able to go chase after someone and go, hey, I kicked your ass because it's helping me. Mm-hmm. And it's helping them too, most likely. So talk All about right. you getting back into the gym, Ash. I want to turn the tables on you today. What are you doing in the gym now? Miss, I did jiu-jitsu and boxing, and now I'm getting back. Yeah, my yeah. I'm happy for you. I, I think it's awesome. I appreciate, and I think it's it's fun. And like I, we've talked about this before, that I feel like I, whether for good or bad, I feel like I maybe don't have the mindset required or the intensity required to kind of stick to one thing and be obsessively myopically, but also intensely successful at one thing. I'm going to stop you because you just haven't found the right thing yet. I think everyone can do that. Not everyone does, but everyone can, but maybe you just haven't discovered the right thing yet and your life will shift, right? I'm not sure, Ben, because I don't believe it. Well, then it won't, but there may be okay, I'm not sure thing. I want it is the question. Well, that's that's the thing. thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. I like love to, as you know, I love to learn and I love to be competent in things and I love to be able to share what I've learned with other people. And I think that I have hit upon some things in my athletic career as well as professional career that I'm very good at. And I, I've thought to myself, I've spent some introspective time thinking, do I want to just go 100% balls out on this thing and see how good I can get? And I just... Every time I think, well, I don't know if I want, because I know, I know people like you, I know other people who have been super elite at one thing, and I'm not saying that there's anything negative about it, but I understand the sacrifices that it takes. And so I'm not sure if I've ever really loved any pursuit or goal enough to be willing to make those sacrifices. So all that to say, I just, I really have enjoyed being a generalist. I've enjoyed kind of learning new things and and taking the things that I learn and just sort of slowly building up, being a pretty well-rounded, decently good at a few things kind of person. But, you know, I'm being honest when I... Sure, sure. You're right. And I mean, it doesn't mean that I don't have times where I think like, hey, it kind of would be cool to be like the best at something because that can help your brand, that can help your visibility, that can be a platform from which you can use to accomplish the other things you want to do in life. Like I struggle with it because um, I think, and I mean, I'm, I'm over the hill now, but I think about the bodybuilding thing. Like if I had started that earlier, who knows where I could have gone with that? Like I have an aptitude for it. And I think about, you know, other, other things like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't keep me up at night because I love my life and I love what I do. And I love the ability to have the flexibility to try a lot of different things. But with all that said, 
going back to the workouts, I've been doing like meathead bodybuilding stuff, mostly predominantly for probably a decade. And I was kind of starting to feel burnt out about it. So and I've always loved mixed martial arts. And I've loved jujitsu. And I love boxing because I like the aggression in it. But I also like the skill aspect of it. I like the competence and the confidence that you get from learning how to defend yourself. All of those things are, are good things, I think, for women to learn. So and I've always kind of dabbled in those a lot more half-assed than the other stuff that I did because it was hard and it was challenging and I had to work out with other people, which is not my favorite thing to do all the time. I like to be by myself in the gym. And so, and it beats you up. Like, you know, like every time I do a jujitsu class, I'm covered in bruises. My cortisol is super spiked. I love it, but it's stressful on my body. So it was all these excuses running through my head of like, eh, maybe I don't want to do this five days a week or whatever to, to really put the time in to be good at it. And this summer, I was just like, I can't can't be in the gym. I'm just, I'm so over it. I just don't want to squat and shoulder press all summer. I need to go do something else. So I shut down my gym membership and I started doing boxing full time, which is about four or five days a week. Really like it, really enjoy it. Had a whole new spate of like aches and pains. You know, when you switch from one discipline to another, it just like transfers the soreness somewhere else. But I just really, I love the feeling in my body and my brain when I'm learning a new skill. And I'm still doing it. I think I've actually switched over now to, I've, I've convinced one of my trainers to train me one-on-one because I feel like I might get a little bit more out of that for a little while. Just having one person focus on me only, that's a little bit of a snobby thing. No, sorry, that's for boxing. Yeah. Um, but it, an interesting thing is, so I am a southpaw. I'm left-handed. You're left-handed too, right? Yeah. yeah, all the best people are. I remember that when we were playing ping pong and I was like, pong, oh yeah. man, you are the best. You're left-handed. Anyway, but it's actually like a weird kind of advantage to be left-handed in a lot of sports and especially yeah. in combat sports because we're rare, right? So people don't often know how to deal with the sort of mirror image coming at them. It's, it's interesting. guys in hockey because of that. Right? It's a very cool advantage. And if you watch like MMA and even boxing, like there's a higher percentage of people who are left-handed because we have a little bit of a, a weird kind of unique advantage. But it's also harder because when you're learning in class with everyone else who's right-handed, you have to take that extra few seconds to translate what they're saying and do exactly the opposite of what they're telling you to do. So anyway, all of that's very fun and I'm really, really enjoying it and I like it. But I was out of the gym for a few months and I'm like, I'm kind of starting to miss the meathead stuff again. And that's a good thing too. Like letting go of the things you love until you love them again, you know, like so you appreciate them. And I was starting to feel like, all right, I'm kind of missing it. I want to get back in. For the last couple of weeks, I've been going back in and doing a very humble, lower weight, much more. And this is a direct result of hanging out with you and talking with you more over the summer, being a lot more mindful and conscious of the way I'm working out. And I think it's coming from age and the wisdom that comes with age, but talking to you as well, I'm like, I don't need to go into the gym and show off how much I can bench press anymore. It is still fun to do that sometimes, but I don't have to do that. I don't feel like I've failed if I haven't maxed out or shown up the person next to me. What I want to do is connect with my body again and learn what I need to work on, learn about my imbalances, learn about what makes me happy in the gym and excited and really think about it when I'm doing it. And it sounds simple. It sounds common sense, but I think a lot of us aren't doing that. A lot of us are going through the motions and just doing what we've always done. And so I thank you for that because it's really kind of given me a different perspective, a fresh perspective going into the gym and I'm enjoying it again in a way that I wasn't for a little while. So I'm really excited. 
it's definitely not common sense, right? It's like people go in there and they use exercise as a means of turning off, of tuning out. And mm-hmm. I think if you can use it as a means of connecting and be learning to become more focused, there's such a reward. And it's almost this flow state, right? They hear a lot of people talking about flow state. If you can become internal and focus on body position and where the tension is and really focusing on your breath and your stability, there's this amazing opportunity that exists cognitively within every workout. And it's this place that you can find that's almost blissful. And it's, you know, they talk about flow as an athlete and that's what it is, is getting into this so hyper focused, hyper vigilant place that allows you to just focus on the minutia. But that's kind of the objective is, you know, you can get so much more out of a muscle when you go there, learn to create stability, learn to create focus, learn to create calm breath. And again, breathing is a whole, you know, we could do podcasts and we have with Patrick McEwen. People should definitely check that out. After I took his course, I'm even more of an advocate than I was before. But yeah, I mean, that's such a great opportunity to connect with your thoughts, connect with your mind, connect with your body and integrate these things. And, and people just miss that. I want to just wind back a little bit, you know, talking about your approach to this generalism. Mm-hmm. There's an amazing book. And I think you and I talked about this range mm-hmm. by David Epstein. I think if anyone wants to read that, it's super interesting. So a lot of people think you need to be a specialist, but I think, you know, I'm the same way. One of my kind of ways that I start my talks is like, I'm not an expert in anything, man. Like I'm much more of a generalist. And I think there's value in that. Maybe I'm an expert in muscle building, but you know, I, I try to say like all the rest of the stuff in the body, I'm just trying to find how to put all the pieces together. And I think that's where the value is, right? Is how do you take all these amazing experts uh, insights and condense them in a way that is applicable in to this big puzzle, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way I look at life is like, I'm not going to be an expert in anything. I'm never going to be, you know, the world's best geneticist or the world's expert in epigenetics or hormones or, or whatever. But if we can take the pieces that matter most and from these amazing experts who are a huge part of the puzzle, we kind of synthesize them into a way that people can use. And that's really what the podcast is about is, you know, how do we help people live an amazing life? And that's integration of body, mind, and breath. And then and love the way they look. And that's the vision here. So mm-hmm. I think it's awesome that we're both living the same left-handed generalistic life. Yeah, lefties rule. <laughs> but this conversation actually is a good segue into a question that you've gotten a couple, it's been worded differently a couple different times, but it's around the idea of, because people are picking up on your sort of life after competitive bodybuilding and your interests that obviously expand out much further than just building muscle and competing. And people are really interested in what your interests are now sports-wise. Like you've talked about maybe being into biking or like some endurance stuff and hiking and other sports. And people have asked questions about how do you transition from this maybe perhaps giant, (laughs) um, bulky bodybuilder frame to training for a different sport? How do you approach that mentally? How do you approach it from in the gym? How do you approach it diet-wise? And just what your thoughts are in general about maybe some different sports that you're interested in pursuing. Yeah. Endurance is definitely something, and I've talked about this, that I'm drawn to. Cycling, running, I don't think I can do, like, I shouldn't say that, but I don't think I'm a fan of because it just hurts, man. Like, uh, it doesn't feel good. My knees hurt, my hips hurt, my back hurts. Mm-hmm. And I'm still heavy. And if I get down, you know, I'm still like 260. So if I get down to 230, 240, maybe I'll re explore that. But there's still not too many 240 pound runners. I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> sure. But like, for me, relative to where I've been for the last 20 years, that's light, yeah. right? So. And I got a really, you know, now maybe this is a result of what I've done in my body, but I have a relatively big structure. I have relatively strong bones. 
So provided I don't lose that bone density as I lose weight, I'll should be able to do like I still run at 260. Like I, I still do it. I just don't do it often. Like I'll do, I don't know, maybe two or three miles once a week, right? And I'll do some interval sprints mm-hmm. on the street. You know, my kids are riding their bike and I'll chase them with my, you know, on, on my feet. Mm-hmm. And I hurt though. Like my Achilles tendon hurts for a couple of days. Sometimes my hips hurt a little bit. Like it's not used to it. I mean, anytime you get out and sprint once a week, it's going to hurt because you're not used to it. But yeah, so shifting into some cycling, maybe certainly some mountain climbing, things that I just, I love the idea of pushing well outside of my comfort zone and whatever that looks like, right? I don't know. The only two things that I really know, to be honest, like how do I cycle until I don't want to cycle anymore and then double that and then head back home, right? You know, you've cycled mm-hmm. hundred miles away from your house and you're like, oh, guess I'm going to have to get home or you climb a mountain and you get to the top and you're like, fuck, that was hard. Now I got to go back down. And, you know, so looking at things that just challenge you and almost force you to be there, you know, maybe it's endurance hunting, maybe it's, I don't know, man, if people have suggestions, I'm open to mm, it. But That's cool. What are your thoughts yeah. about, because I obviously have dabbled a little bit in this too. And I think it's, again, from similar perspectives of, I'm not necessarily in love with the idea of endurance for endurance sake, but for the mental work totally. that it, it brings. Oh, and, oh. Yeah. So I've run a couple marathons. They sucked. It was super hard. I learned a lot. It was great. But one of the things that I did that was similarly difficult from a mental perspective, but not quite so hard on the joints was a, I think it was 50, I want to say 55 kilometer hike in Cape Breton. I think it's not quite the Bay of Fundy. I'll have to tell you where it was because it's the most beautiful hike ever. Alex and I did this over, I want to say two days. So we're hiking a lot. Like we're hiking like, you know, 30 kilometers a day through very, very high, steep terrains and downhills and narrow paths and like full on woods, rugged wilderness. And Also, like you said, to the point where day one, we're 30 kilometers into the woods, we're camping, you can't get out, you can't backtrack, like you're finishing this, right? And we have weights on our our back. And of course, Alex has experience with this because he's military and he knows how to hike for a long time and be uncomfortable and wear heavy packs. I was just like, hey, I'm pretty tough. I should be able to sort this out. And like one hour into it, I've got 40 pounds on my back and I'm dying. And I'm like, how am I going to do this? And it was a really, it was a great relationship experience. Experiment. It was a great mental fortitude experiment. It was a great outdoors, connecting with nature, connecting with yourself, not being on the internet. I mean, it was so fantastic and such a great learning experience on so many levels, but it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Like, I'm like, look, anybody, I'm fit. I'm healthy. I can walk. I can walk up hills and down hills and with a bag on my back. Like I can do this. And it was incredibly challenging. But even in the moment of being so uncomfortable and sweaty and in pain and my ankles hurt and I was tired and I had 35 kilometers left to go, I'm still thinking like, holy shit, I'm in this beautiful place. I'm learning about myself. I'm going to get through this no matter how much it sucks. And it's going to feel so good when it's done. So maybe anyway, maybe that's something that you might want to experiment with because there's so many layers to that kind of thing, like the nature connection and the mental connection and introspection. You literally just told the exact story that I told coming off my first mountain, Mm -hmm. right? I did a nine hour mountain climb. And where uh, was it? It was was in California. It was something they call cactus to clouds. And it wasn't quite nine hours, but like it was up nine hours up and down. So same idea, right? So and I talk about, you know, the first 90 minutes, you know, because I'd never I had no idea what to expect. So the first 90 minutes, I'm like, I'm good. I'm cruising. And then like the next, you know, 90 minutes or so, you're in this place of dread where you're like, oh my God, I can't do this. And your brain's going, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I I can't finish. And like, you know, when are we gonna stop? And we're gonna eat. And like, and then you just kind of look up and I looked up and I looked around and I was like, wow, like it's the most beautiful day. It's a blue sky. I'm with two of my greatest friends. Smile. And it shifted, right? It wasn't an instant, but it was like, 
know, over the next couple minutes, my brain shifted and I was in this place of gratitude and I literally feel like I floated up the rest of the mountain. And uh, rather than, you know, dreading it and sucking, you know, and hating life, you just shift that perspective. And I tell, I've told that story a couple of times and that's important. I mean, just realize how powerful your brain is and where your focus is going to determine your enjoyment or your dread. Mm-hmm. But yeah, super interesting. And that's awesome that you do that stuff because that's what it's about to be a human being. Yeah. It's like, just go and you'll figure it out. And that's what people lack in life is like, I need a plan. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Oh, I don't know if I can do this. Good. Just fucking mm-hmm. go. Figure it out as you go, right? Put yourself into hard situations. Put yourself into difficult situations on purpose, right? That's what I'm after, right? It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And like, I'm either going to die or I'm going to come back smarter. I love it. <laughs> like, that's it. Right? It's that's so it. good. And even, even in the moment too, I'm thinking as much as this sucks and it hurts and I don't know why I signed up for this, think about if I was home and I was sick or if I was injured or if I was disabled and I couldn't do this. I didn't have the choice. Think about how much worse that is. Like, be grateful for the pain that you're feeling in your legs yeah. because you're walking and you're outside and you're in this beautiful place and you're proving something to yourself. It really, I mean, it's incredible. Like I definitely think that those are the kind of like life altering experiences that people, like you said, maybe they think they have to overplan it or they have to be more fit or more ready before they do it. And that's the exact time you should do it when you're not quite sure if you can. Yeah. And I think if you have a dependence on something, it's also perspective, right? If you're depending on something, you need this, leave it at home, right? So if you're you know going on a hike and you're like, oh, I, I have to make sure I have this, this, and this, like start to reexamine your life a little mm-hmm. bit. Like you shouldn't need anything. I mean, it's nice to have certain things. But that's why I loved going out on these hikes because you have I had no idea what I was going to need. And if I didn't have it, it's like, oh, well, like, just keep going. Like, your body's so much more resilient than you mm-hmm. know. But anyways, I want to shift gears because I want to talk about organ meats. I know you've been posting about this. You're one of the only women I know in the world that eats oh, organ yeah. meats. And I, you know, not, there's a few. Like, I'm, in the keto, I'm kind of in the keto space right now. And there's a lot of women that eat organ mm-hmm. meat. But I've started eating organ meat. And I want to talk to you about how you integrate it. And we're going to talk a little bit about the benefits of organ meat and whether or not people should be adding it. To yes. Diet. Time for Ashley's brand to the day, because I could talk about mm-hmm. organ meats all day, but really first, really quick, I just have to finish off that last conversation about hiking sure. because talking about things that you need, I have a funny little aside about you guys know those like hiking poles that people have. And you mostly see like maybe either really serious hikers or like old people who are just like walking down the sidewalk with their hiking poles. And you kind of, I don't know if you're a, jerk like me, you might kind of roll your eyes. Like what are these like hiking sticks for? And what's the point? Go for a 60 kilometer hike up and down very steep grades. And then tell me if you need hiking poles, because I of course did not have any. And I was in excruciating pain by the end of it. And I don't have any knock on wood, any like knee or hip or ankle injuries. And by the end of this, I was like, why is this so excruciatingly painful? And then I see like an old person like hike by me with their like cute little hiking poles. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what those are for. But anyway, it made me stronger. I just had to tell people. That, that, that brings up another story that's really funny. So I uh, I hiked this mountain with Alex Viata, who's a 100-mile marathon mm-hmm. guy, right? And Alex is a, and Jordan Shallow, who's like- Jordan did it too. <laughs> I was actually, it's funny. It was on his birthday. And we basically, I had to pull him up the hill. He dreaded oh, it the I whole bet. time. And it was a funny story because 
When we got back down to the bottom, we thought it was like, okay, we're almost kind of back to the car. And we see this really old lady walking up. She was probably in her 70s. She's with a dog and she's walking down this path. And we go, oh, is that the shortcut? I think Jordan goes, is that the shortcut back to the parking lot? She goes, yes, it is. Like, okay, wonderful. She had just come up this path. And we're like, sweet. I mean, it can't be that hard. It's a shortcut back to the parking lot. Jordan will be laughing if he hears this. So we walk, you know, 20 yards down this path and it turns into a very narrow path that ended up being a drain pipe. And it was probably 18 inches <laughs> wide. Um, so, kid you not, we walked a fucking drain pipe for probably two and a half <sighs> miles on a drain pipe. And the left side was probably a six foot fall. The right side was probably a 30 foot fall. So, if you slipped off this drain pipe, you're going down. There's certain pit phases where it wasn't really a fall, but like it was fucking treacherous. And this old lady and her dog just walked up this fucking drain pipe. So, we're like, oh, we're good. Like, you know, we're a bunch of tired meatheads at the end of this, what was, you know, a long hike. And ask Jordan, if you ever have him on the podcast again, ask him about the green bike. <laughs> he'll, he'll probably tell a story about it already. But yeah, so, you know, Alex is in front because Alex is like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to sprint down this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm chilling. I'm walking normally. Jordan's in the back with his hands crossed across his body and like wouldn't look up, wouldn't take his eyes up. And he's like falling, you know, hundreds of meters behind. Like, Jordan, you okay? Yep. <laughs> Jordan, you okay? Like he's gonna fall down and die but he was so focused on not falling off the strain pipe like you know we were alex and i were like man this is a lot bigger than a tightrope yeah. we're good <laughs> jordan was just in panic mode for what ended up being probably a good 30 minutes i love pipe. though that he still did it and was you know uncomplaining i mean no well, choice I had no choice That's at right. that time, right? You're not going back up That's a drain right. pipe because it was a decline, right? So you're not going back right, up a drain pipe. That would have been right. way harder. So at that point, he still, he, you can still complain if you want to. And I think that's not really his MO. But I mean, this is the guy, like I interviewed him recently. Oh, that's his yeah. MO. But but at that point, he had been spending enough time with me. And I'm, I'm like, dude. I don't have like, time for this. Go. Yeah, I love it. I mean, he's like, the interview that I did with him on his podcast, he's breathing heavily throughout the entire thing because I think I made him walk up the stairs to my condo. So like, yeah, sure. the idea of him doing a hike. He's put on 30 pounds he's since I think we did this. This was like almost... He's yeah, a big boy. Big All right. Now. That's amazing. Moving on to organ meats. Organ. This truly is, I think, my my one biggest personal crusade, aside from just wanting women to be confident and strong and work out and like show off being able to do pull-ups, more pull-ups than dudes. That's my other personal crusade. But organ meats, I feel really, really strongly about. What? 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 <laughs> what, what, what did you say? You want to do more pull-ups than you do dudes? Well, yeah, probably, but no, more pull-ups than dudes, more pull-ups than dudes can do. Yeah. My favorite workout in the gym is if I can do anything that shows up a dude. And I've done it before. I mean, it's hard because men are generally stronger than me, but I know my way around a pull-up bar. We'll say that. But anyway, we're getting off track already. Organ meats. This is something that I really, really do feel very strongly about. And I think that it's something that's becoming increasingly polarizing in the nutrition world because everybody's trying to pick their team and you have to be vegan or you have to be carnivore. And people feel super, super strongly about their, it's like their religion is how they eat. And I'm trying not to delve too deeply into that because it just makes people frustrated and it just makes people angry. And there should be less judgment and just more information and more personalized nutrition in the world. However, I feel after more than a decade of research and interviewing the top minds in nutrition and exercise and nutrition science and all of these things for Paleo Magazine and other work that I do, but generally speaking, the best diet for most human beings is based on healthy, organic, grass-fed meat and you know quality vegetables. 
really. You can play around with fat and you can play around with nuts and seeds and fruit and all kinds of other fun things. But generally, we're supposed to eat meat and vegetables to varying degrees, depending on our goals and our unique physiology, right? So you can choose not to eat meat if you want to, but you're probably better off if you do for most of the population. That's Ashley's tirade about nutrition. Within that, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just, you know, people talk about the nutrient density of vegetables, but the reality is like the absorbability of it is a fraction of what organ meat is. And that's truly where the benefit lies, right? As people are talking about, oh, you're going to get vitamin deficiencies absolutely. if you don't eat vegetables. It's yeah. absolutely not true. Yeah. Absolutely not true. Liver and kidney and brain and uh, not people only brain, but you know, these things are extremely nutrient dense. And uh, I think adding them into your lifestyle is absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and it's true too, that like, yeah, you can get protein from broccoli. That's great. But if you can eat one ounce of steak and get way more bioavailable nutrients from that than from four pounds of broccoli, like let's use some common sense here. But anyway, so within the eating meat category, if you're not going to eat meat and I can't convince you, then this conversation isn't for you. But if you are somebody who eats meat and recognizes the value of doing that, taking it a step further to to experiment and play with anything other than muscle meat, I think is a really, really valuable exercise because the facts are there that organ meat and offal, which is, you know, the little sort of bits and pieces and the guts and the things that we don't normally think of to, to cook up and eat, those are much, much, much more nutrient dense bottom line. Like back in the day when people used to hunt and gather their food and they took their dogs out into the woods and hunt down game, they were feeding the muscle meat to their dogs and saving the organ meat for themselves because they knew what was the most valuable. So, and it's completely a cultural thing that we consider eating liver and heart and brain disgusting when we have no problem eating the rest of the flesh of an animal. It's really silly when you lay it out that way. Like if you have your moral issues with eating animals, fine. But if you'll eat a steak and you have a problem eating liver, that's something you need to evaluate because that's a completely subjective, weird cultural thing we've created for ourselves. Um, and if you're trying to get nutrient dense food, you just, you need to use a bit more common sense than maybe emotion when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's because we're just disconnected from Absolutely. it. Right? I think the reality is like we don't hunt anymore. So people get worried or, you know, sick or can't quote unquote, you know, mm -hmm. see blood or they can't see the insides mm -hmm. of an animal. And when you go to taste organs, like these are a different texture than what I've been brought mm -hmm. up on. So it's just a cultural thing, like you say. And, and if kids start, you get started, kids aren't really young, they'll mm -hmm. love it. Like my kids actually really like mm -hmm. organ meat. So I won't feed them like, you know, liver as liver, but I'll grind it up into burger patties or into, into meatballs or something. And they love it. And they like it better than the other burgers. And they have an acquired mm -hmm. taste to that. And they haven't been doing it as long as I would have liked. I mean, I wasn't big into organ meats when they were born. But they've acquired it really quickly. And I think that's what it is, right? Is start little and then yeah. just grow it. And it's certainly something, you know, Jordan always uses this, this analogy. He says, my mom used to grind my vegetables into my spaghetti sauce. And that's really what it is, right? It's like, how do you just add a little bit of this organ meat into your life in a way that you can't mm -hmm. really know? You know? I think it's so important. And also using one of your best phrases is, if you can't, then you must. If you just can't yeah. eat meat on the bone or you don't like the feel of liver, like get over it. You're eating meat like eat the best meat for yourself. Make a decision that's good for your health and the health of your family. And all I completely agree with you that getting started early is best. But I will also say that just because you didn't eat these quote unquote weird animal parts growing up doesn't mean you can't learn to actually enjoy them. Because I grew up in a typical sort of American Canadian household where we were eating normal food. We were eating pork chops and we were eating chicken breast and potatoes and stuff like that. And I eat I have the most eclectic 
like palette of probably anyone I know. Like I will eat things that most people are horrified at the idea of and I enjoy it. I'm not doing it because it's the shock factor. I mean, I enjoy that too. I think it's hilarious when people freak out that I eat bugs and brains, but I eat that food because I appreciate the nutrition that it's giving me and I like the taste of it. You can learn to love it. You can find ways to make it sneaky if you need to, but you can also, if you just sort of appreciate being open-minded and willing to try new things, you might find you actually really enjoy some of these things if you can take them away from, again, your sort of cultural expectations of things being gross or scary. Some organ meats are very strong tasting. Some are actually very mild and delicious and delicate and very decadent. Like for brains, for example, you mentioned that's a tough one. Like that's probably not your intro organ meat that people are going to try. But brain is actually a very delicate delicious if you like pate, if you like things that are a little bit sort of, I mean, it's a textural thing too. It's not like a strong mineral livery taste. It's really delicious. And heart actually tastes quite similar to muscle meat. It has a similar kind of texture. It doesn't have a weird textural kind of thing that people might be freaked out by. If you slice up a nice like elk heart or a beef heart, slice it up, put it in your sandwich or not or whatever, if you're not eating bread, it, it tastes like meat. It's delicious. So, And the other thing that I tell people too who are scared is what's the worst that could happen? You put a bite of food into your mouth and you don't like it. Okay. What have you lost? Nothing. You've lost nothing. Mm-hmm. But if you like it, but, but I don't think stopping at one try is is sure. an approach, right? Like no, no one's ever going to like it the first time they try. It. Like it's it's an impossible. Some might just open your mind and your mouth. So I'll tell you my issue, right? And this may be the issue with a lot of listeners. So I'll, I'll address it as mm-hmm. texture. So as a bodybuilder, I think I lost my ability to taste because it became so mindless. I just consumed. I did my palate didn't recognize the different flavors. It just recognized texture. So, and and I don't know if this has always been a thing in my life. I don't think it has, but maybe it has. Now it's all about texture to me. So when I put liver in my mouth, I hate the mushy gooey. I can deal with the taste. That taste is fine, but it's the texture. So it's been a challenge for me to integrate livers or organ meats into my diet. I do it because I'm like, well, I know it's good for me. Let's figure it out. You know, I'll put some salt on it, put some coconut oil on it. We're happy. We're good to go. But it's not easy. So again, just that's where I say like, hey, start with the, the grinding it up in your meatballs or grinding it up in your burgers or whatever. And then maybe adding small bits. And Dr. Paul Saladino suggested making so basically liver jerky or frozen mm-hmm. liver cubes. And that's really interesting, right? And like if you just want to get it in for the sake of the health benefits, mm-hmm. maybe that's an approach. And there's also a company called Ancestral Health, which – I've actually got all of their stuff in my fridge right now. So the kids are getting bone marrow from them. They're getting liver, liver kind of pills, and then brain pills all available on Ancestral Health. And Is this Ancestral this- Supplements? Yeah, yeah, there you yes. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And that stuff, I mean, I give it to my kids and they don't mind and kind of try to slide one past them one day and try to put the bone marrow into their, uh, I forget what I was putting into, maybe their shake or something. Mm. And my kid, my son's like, dad, why is my shake crunchy? They're sanding my shake. <laughs> You're like, it's good it. for you. Yeah, eat it. <laughs> Well, another another argument, though, that I will make for eating the real thing, because I'm a huge fan of ancestral supplements, and I crush their stuff. I've got like their thyroid, um, and I think the brain too in my fridge as we speak. But that's interesting. Yeah, it's they've got they have everything. We can get into that rabbit hole too. But the other thing to consider about eating some of this more nutrient dense parts of the animal is that if you are also concerned about sustainability and other issues around ethical farming and things like that, you can get 
more from less when you're eating the super nutrient dense food. And some of us want to eat our 16 ounce steaks, but some of us, you know, maybe it's a beneficial thing to be able to eat two ounces of chicken liver instead of whatever we're eating. It's like six ounces of ground chicken. But another thing, if you're talking about mindful approach to eating, and I know that you talk about this too, I'm not blowing smoke. When I prepare and eat some of these organ meats that are a little bit trickier and a little bit more fun, a little bit more interesting and adventurous, when I'm eating liver or heart or brain and I'm mindful and I'm eating it and I'm tasting it and I'm chewing it, I feel nourished in a way that I do not eating any other food. 1000%. Yeah. And this makes a difference. And I can physically tell the difference as a woman who has a cycle and I'm losing iron and I'm losing magnesium. And I actually have to pay attention to these things on a monthly basis. My body's intuitive enough that I will crave things like liver or like a nice rare steak or something like that around that time of the month. And I can tell the difference when I've eaten stuff like that and I'm being nourished and I'm taking those nutrients in. I feel like a superhero. Like it's really, really does make a difference. And I know anybody who has you know, eaten rotisserie chicken from the grocery store and then spent the exorbitant amount of money to buy like an organic chicken, you can tell the difference. Like you really can in the taste, but in the feel and how you feel. So I really encourage people to just like, yeah, like you said, it might take a couple tries, but you're not going to lose anything because the worst that could happen is you give it a fair shake and you're like, this isn't for me. Maybe I'll try the liver pills instead. But you could open yourself up to an entirely new world of eating that's super pleasurable for you, that's fun, that makes you feel better. I mean, I just think it's a win-win situation no matter what. Totally agree. Now, you have to leave us with your best recipe, right? So you're a <laughs> chef. I certainly have no suggestions on how to cook this stuff. So what do you suggest? Yeah, well, I mean, I think maybe moving forward, I mean, I'm I'm working slowly but surely on my own cookbook, so we can talk about that a little bit more. And I know that Danny Vega has offered a couple awesome recipes, and you have some that I think we should probably start pushing out to the muscle intelligence I'm community. Maybe by it. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. You, but we have kind of separate projects that we should probably just combine. Yes, hundred percent. I mean, the newsletter, right? And I want people to, on your behalf, I'm encouraging people to sign up for the muscle intelligence newsletter because I think that that's something that is going to be really, really useful to people above and beyond the podcast, which has a ton of great information, but you can push out recipes there. You can put out information and links to further reading and resources that you aren't necessarily going to get on the podcast. So that's something I'd like to do. And I'll submit some recipes too, maybe that we can put out on the um, muscle intelligence newsletter and in that community there. But I think that probably the best place to start for people who are new and a little bit apprehensive, but are interested is heart, because that is one of the organs that is the easiest on the taste buds. It tastes good. It's not strong. It doesn't have a strong liver taste. It's not a weird consistency. If you want to do the easiest, you can go chicken hearts because they're very inexpensive, small and easy to cook. And I literally would pan fry them with your fat of choice, your ghee or your butter or whatever you want to do, your spices of choice, literally pan fry that, put it into your salad, put it into your stir fry, put it next to your baked sweet potato or potatoes or whatever, and just eat them on their own. Use some barbecue sauce if it makes you feel good, but just try it on its own. Don't cloak it yet. If you want to later, fine. But I think you'll be really, really surprised. Like I'm just saying, don't hide it. Like just eat, like simply pan fry them 
with the spices and the fat that you want, put it next to your favorite side dish and just try some chicken hearts. And I think you'll really be surprised by how easy they are to eat. I'm not into chicken heart. Not that I'm against them, but just the idea of chicken, right? The You're not helping me avoid, sell this, Ben. <laughs> the more I can avoid chicken, the, the better for me, right? Like if I can find elk heart, if I can find, you know, venison heart, I'd be way more into that. because Well, those are great too. I mean, that's another thing. Like I think I have a picture I'll have to repost it on uh, Instagram. Elk hearts and buffalo hearts are pretty big. You can get a lot of meat out of those things. Yeah. They're like half the size of my head. Um, the same thing, you slice them thinly and again, pan fry. Like they'll end up being almost like, I'm trying to think of the consistency, like a shawarma meat. What do you say? Yeah. How do you say it in American? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, like that kind of consistency. And again, that's the one organ meat that I don't think you have to like hide or chop up or mix into anything else because like, trust me on this, if you just pan fry them till they're cooked, put some delicious spices on it, use some good fat, it tastes like muscle meat and it's delicious and yeah any animal's heart is delicious so go whichever animal you want go for it awesome so great information you're a great resource so if everyone can check out muscle maven instagram and ask ashley questions danny vega is also awesome with this stuff um, yes and sexual supplements another company you guys want to check it out. i know it's hard to get the stuff in so i wanted to bring that up is it's not always easy to make the time and effort to go out and get organ meat that's high quality cook it and you know enjoy it especially if you're trying to cook for a family so you do need it though guys like getting that stuff in is important so if, if you're considering or if you understand the benefit of getting this stuff in just ancestral supplements would be a good place to check out and again, no affiliation with them as of yet. But uh, if they're interested and want to reach out to us, we can work that out. Cash, the other thing that you said you want to talk about today was cannabis. Yeah, well, who doesn't want to talk about cannabis? <laughs> I mean, it's, well, in Canada, it's a whole different story. I know you're back down in Florida, but in Canada, it's like it went overnight from this is the thing that people are still kind of whispering about and getting their friends to get for them to everyone's openly smoking weed or vaping or ingesting in some way or another cannabis. We've been able to really expand the conversation very quickly in Canada to its therapeutic uses, um, its medicinal uses. But I know that it's something that's growing in the health and fitness world as well. So, and I think that you have some interest there as well. So what are you thinking? So CBD is my focus, right? Like I want to make sure that we understand it. I want to make sure that we see where the applications are. We understand it's not this ubiquitous thing that everyone should be taking. I think we have to understand that it should be full spectrum and likely combined with a small amount of THC, like 0.3% THC. So a small amount of THC is necessary. But I think it's amazing what it can do. But I think what the amazing future is, is the manipulation of the cannabinoids and terpenes to elicit different responses, right? So it's been suggested that, you know, particular cannabinoids, so there's, you know, I think 100 cannabinoids plus 120 or something like that, have different effects in the body. And you can manipulate the ratios by the type of plant. You can manipulate the ratios by the extraction processes and the isolation processes. And you could kind of target to have you know more of this cannabinoid or more of this terpene and they can have a different response in your body and that's the exciting thing for me right the idea of smoking the plant i'm honestly just not interested in it but i mean not against it but not interested in it but what's really interesting to me is like the response these things can elicit in the body and what we can do with it so that being said i think it's you know i think i've maybe mentioned that i've become heavily invested into a Canadian cannabis company and proud to say we've just gone public. So we've just completed our um, 
IPO and we're on the Canadian Stock Exchange, so the CSE under the ticker of SIRE, S-I-R-E, with some really, really cool stuff that unfortunately I won't share, but as it comes around, I'll share it. So, you know, just gone public and super excited. So what we've gone public with is is as a hemp company. So hemp is obviously where we're going to primarily derive most of our CBD. There's no THC in that product when it has hemp. But we can also now grow or soon grow cannabis, which is uh, full THC, and we can manipulate that stuff. And we've actually hired one of the most incredibly brilliant men I've ever experienced uh, to grow for us. So he's a botanist. He's got a tremendous amount of experience in cannabis space and the science, and he's going to be our master grower. And that's super exciting because, um, you know, the opportunity is is massive if you're doing the right things. And this guy, like his mind is you know, unbelievable. And I've actually got intention of getting him on the podcast to talk a little bit about this because most people just think weed is weed. Like there's uh, sativa and there's um, indica and like that's kind of it or there's there's hybrids, but man, it's so much deeper than that. And this guy understands the growing process. He understands the genetics. He understands the manipulation. And I think that'd be a really interesting conversation. Plus he, he might be like just one of the most interesting human beings I've ever talked to. So I do have a lot of vested interest in cannabis and I think that the future is bright and we're building this massive scientific advisory team now around. So our mission with the company is to upgrade the health and consciousness of humanity. And I had a big part in determining that mission because we believe that cannabis can be a big part in helping people calm their stress so that they can become more conscious so they become more aware and also just like, you know, let's have a better time, right? If, if it helps you relax and feel better, that's amazing. If it helps you relieve stress and allows you to become more present and not focus on your stress and your pain, that's amazing. So that's where we're going. I think it's super interesting. The future's bright. Uh, literally today, as we speak, we went public, uh, which is super exciting. And I think the future is bright. So Sire, S-I-R-E on the Canadian Stock Exchange. You guys can check it out at SireBioscience.com. I do use CBD. I don't use cannabis. I use CBD probably four or five times a week, uh, maybe three, four times a week, mostly for experimental reasons, right? I'll use something for a week and I'll see like, how does how do I feel? Do I feel different with this one versus that one? Because I think so much ambiguity around it, right? No, most people don't know anything. Yep. So we'll see. Congratulations, Ben. No big deal. Just company going public, just making big moves in Canada. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm officially the science director which but doesn't really mean anything other than they're going to just allow me to kind of guide the conversation around science, so around research. So we're going to take a large percentage of our profits and, and reinvest into expanding the understanding of cannabis. And there's already a ton of research out there, but it's so new that we have this opportunity. So I'm, I'm literally reaching out to some of the best scientists that I can encounter and trying to bring them onto the science advisory board and just fund research. And so it's exciting. And you know the things that we want to tackle first is sleep. Uh, and anxiety. And then obviously pain will come as well. But I think there's a lot of people diving into pain, but mm-hmm. nobody looking at sleep. Mm-hmm. So they know that, C- that the cannabinoid CBN has a greater impact on sleep, but nobody seems to be able to quantify it or ratios or so we're just we're looking at that, right? And, and we're going to start putting out a lot of educational stuff on the Sire uh, Instagram. So that should be fun. And you guys can follow there to learn everything that we're doing. And we've just hired a writer who's the senior editor of a, one of the cannabis magazines to do of all of our uh, educational writing. So you guys will be getting the best quality information from the best scientists through the best writer and onto your Instagram page. So head over to Sire Bioscience and follow them on Insta, follow us on Instagram, I should say. That is so exciting. If you need anybody to test your products, 
right here. All the, all right the here. Oh, you, you went in on oh, that? Me, yeah, me. I will test them. Well, I mean, again, obviously, I'm interested in this like everybody else in the world. I started out with, well, I started out as a teenager smoking weed. Let's be real. Everybody else did. But I, when I was an adult, I got pretty interested in CBD for its potential to help with sleep because that's, as I've talked about before, it's something that I struggle with on and off pretty seriously. And I have had significant improvements in my sleep. It took a lot of experimentation and playing with dosing and playing with type and companies and different whatever. But I know that it's beyond the placebo effect because I had gotten to the point where I was so desperate that I was trying literally everything you can imagine and nothing like short of, I don't know, heavy narcotics, nothing was helping me. And I'm not saying that CBD was like this blanket. Now everything's fixed, but I noticed a significant improvement in not only my ability to fall asleep, but have better, deeper, restful sleep. And so people can say what they want just because it's, it's new to them and it's exciting and whatever people think it's a fad. But I know anecdotally and from a lot of people that I've talked to and worked with over the last few years that it has a huge potential to help people's lives. And I think that it's really, really important that people like you are bringing it into the sort of greater wellness conversation because it could potentially be huge and hugely helpful for people. So that's really exciting. Here's the ambiguity in that statement, right? Is that there's different genetic uh, responses to all different types of cannabis. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some people who have the gene to become anxious and people will know right away as soon as I say it, like, yep, that's me, right? Some people have the gene to uh, actually have upgraded mental function. Some people will have, you know, downgraded mental function. They'll feel like they're kind of getting, you know, they want to fall asleep or they, they don't have the ability to be focused. And so there's genetic implications there, right? Or considerations. And that's what we want to be able to fix, right? So if you have the genetic predisposition to getting anxiety on uh, when you smoke cannabis, that doesn't mean that all cannabis should give you anxiety. That just means the ones that you've tried will give you anxiety. So how do we then learn what's causing it and learn how to remove it or manipulate it in a way that, hey, now this person can actually reap the benefits without getting the negative side effects. So that's really what we're looking at is how do you create these different states? Mm -hmm. So we're very new, right? We're probably, you know, 24 to 48 months away from having anything in that realm or even longer, right? But I think that that's the interesting thing in the future is like, maybe you can give this to people who in the past haven't been able to use it, but can now reap all of the benefits without the negative side effects. And that's why this shit's interesting and exciting. Yeah. I mean, the converse, you're starting the conversation. And I think it's similar to the evolution that we've seen with diet dogma versus personalized nutrition, right? Like when you start learning about paleo or keto or whatever, if it fits your macros and everybody has to like follow this thing dogmatically. And if you don't, you're stupid and you're missing out. And then we evolve past that and realize that we are all different. We react to things differently. There are some basic guidelines that are great starting points for all of us to follow. And then from there, we have to do our due diligence and research and learn and do the work to figure out what works for us. And it's the same with cannabis. It's the same with CBD and THC. Different things are going to work for different people for different things at different times. So that's where the work comes in. Like I learned the hard way that I am not a sativa girl. I need to, you know, I'm, oh, I hate it. it. It makes me feel high, which I don't like. I don't like feeling like I'm not in control of myself, but I learned that indica is the one that kind of chills me out, which is all that I need in my life. And then a little bit of indica combined with some good quality CBD can help me sleep. And But I learned that after doing the work, after researching, after learning, after trying different things. And, and that's what we all have to do. And you're going to help us so with that. What I want to prevent you from doing is doing exactly what you just did there. And you said, I'm not a sativa girl. Now that isn't necessarily the truth, right? So let's not create types just yet. Because I think we can learn to like explain what that is. Like, oh, I have this 
scenario so that I shouldn't do this particular strain, right? So from the strains that you've tried, you've got, you know, anxious or, or high or whatever, but maybe we can get rid of that. And we can say, you know, if we pull this particular compound out of there through genetic manipulation of the plant uh, or post-processing, obviously, we can then remove that response you're not looking for and target the ones you are. And that's what's cool. But shit. why not if I found a different strain that I already know works for me, why what not? if you're looking for something different? You know, you're getting the sleep benefits and you're getting the calming benefits, but maybe the sativa has a cognitive mm. consciousness enhancement mm. that you're just not experiencing yet. Mm. Yeah. All right. You know, this is like the harder sell for me. We've had this conversation offline before about, do I need more conscious awareness? (laughs) You will say yes. I'm not convinced yet. So that's another conversation, but... You haven't spent enough time I, I haven't spent enough time in the jungles of Costa Rica either. So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that we might be having pretty yeah. soon. But. I was going to ask you about that. We should actually start that the next Q&A with yeah. that, talking about psychedelics and your perception of <laughs> mushrooms and LSD. My terror about and, plant medicine. You can help talk yeah. me down from it. So by the time that, that Q&A airs, I may have actually gone to Costa Rica and come back. So let's see. Yeah, I'm um, excited. Uh, I'm excited about that. I can't wait. All right. And I think we're going to wrap right. it there and kind of bringing everything full circle for you guys. The mission with Muscle Intelligence, both the podcast and the newly launched website is to bring you all the information you need to live your greatest life in a body you love. So what does that mean? Well, it's the integration of body, mind, breath, and consciousness, obviously, right? We want people to just truly be happy. And I was writing about this in this presentation I've created for the London Health Optimization Summit is, you know, what does it mean to thrive, right? And defining that is important. Then we kind of break it down into the systems approach and go, okay, well, I need my body to thrive. I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to be healthy. I want to be virile. I want to have great sex. I want to have great conversations. I want to be able to learn. All these things have to be tied in. And they'll go, okay, well, if I've identified seven things there that I need to improve, how do I just systematically make sure that I'm addressing each of them each day? And it's really demystifying this conversation around longevity and health optimization as like, just break it down into the simplest form for you. Because like, that's different than it is for me. But uh, find out what the things are that are missing from your life and improve them. So if it's, uh, you know, maybe I have some anxiety, maybe I have some memory fog, maybe I have a poor body composition, maybe I have a poor body image, spend more time on that thing right now, mm-hmm. right? Take two or three months and focus on it. I think the problem is people make it um, impossible for them. They use phrases like I am or I can't, but that's not the truth, right? You are not anything. You are what you decide to make of yourself. You can shift or you can say, or even I'm, I am not. Well, no, it's not that you're not, just that you're not yet. So head out there and create the changes you need to in your life. And Muscle Intelligence is going to be the hub to do that for you. We're going to be bringing a lot of new content, video content, article content, expert contributions, Ashley's amazing insights, uh, both on the Q&A and potentially a lot more. So uh, we look forward to you guys joining us on every one of the future podcasts. And we appreciate you sharing it with at least one person you know that will love this information, love this podcast, and that truly wants to thrive. So head over to muscleintelligence.com and slash podcast, listen to the podcast, get the show notes there, and you can head over to Instagram and follow BPAC Fitness and the Muscle Maven for amazing info and just for great people. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.